Welcome to the This Week in Technology podcast. I'm Ben Adamson, coming to you from sunny Melbourne. And what I'll do in this podcast is look back over the week's technology news, just seeing what's new around the world, lots of different fields. So looking at things like quantum computing and AI, emerging technologies, as well as things in the home that are making a real difference to people's lives as they become more prevalent and more available. And also just milestones in terms of things like the self-driving cars and all of those things which we see in the news. Occasionally, too, there'll be some more technology-based things which are more relevant to IT professionals, but I'll try and make them as interesting as possible as well so that we can just make this as, as relatable to as many people as possible. So on the Australian front, this week we saw uh, Atlassian listing on the NASDAQ, making its NASDAQ debut, and that had been uh, a much-expected uh, event with the, the sort of share price being a, a bit of an uncertainty. But what's happened is that they have hit the boards on Thursday uh, in New York with the code TEAM and that they, they debuted at $27.67 in the end. So really a premium on the 21 which had been forecast as a, as a possible share strike price and then they've sort of had, had increases since then. So it's a successful listing for those guys and they've, they've been able to you know, have that oversubscribed IPO Valuing the company at around uh, US 4.38 billion, so for the Australian dollar, that's that's over six billion dollars. So massively successful. And for people who aren't aware of Atlassian, they're a software based uh, software company based in Sydney who have a few products, but the the predominant ones being Jira and Confluence, which we'll see in the development side of things, and also information information sharing, so keys and and internal intranets and that kind of stuff on the Confluence side. So Obviously, uh, very successful, and in terms of the customers, etc., people like Facebook and NASA, Toyota, etc., um, using their products. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how that tracks over time and, and how that share price goes, but a massive thing for an Australian company to build through those stages over time and really get to that point. So overall, at this point, we've seen that the stock has really soared 32% after that initial listing. So we'll sort of see how that tracks over time as well. There's been quite a few different things coming to the fore in quantum computing this week. So I sort of have tried to string together a few different things which have come up because we've had Google announcing that their their quantum computer, uh, as far as they're concerned, is sort of getting to a point where it's a, it's a working piece of technology. But obviously they're sort of not ready to, to go into mass manufacturing or mass market with that yet. But their tests are showing that, you know, they are really starting to get to a point where it's becoming an applicable technology. and you know, really then opening up the the processing capabilities to potentially millions of times faster than what we see in the computers of, of today's generation. So in terms of that, like we've got people all over the place who are sort of working on this problem, lots of research institutions, etc. But Google with their, their quantum AI lab have worked with NASA and they've, they've acquired that D-Wave 2X and that's really sort of described as the first quantum computer. So they've got that real capability now to, to move away from, I guess, a traditional processor base and start to work on a completely different scenario in terms of being able to work out, you know, how we can apply this technology and start to shift into some of those, you know, obviously really large data sets and computation of massive sums within short periods of time. So 
really something to keep an eye on. Within Australia too, we've had a few things happening during the course of the week with this. With There's a lot of talk about innovation and new technology and the government starting to, to come around to supporting uh, technology and innovation in a, in a bigger way. But we've seen Telstra as well step in and pledge $10 million to the University of New South Wales and their quantum computing team. And that's after a, a pledge that came from Combat previously. So we're really seeing you know, that, that quantum computing development centre start to develop and, and, and you know, get that, that backing behind it that it needs to sort of see, obviously, Australia as, as one place that's innovating in this space. But it's interesting to just sort of see that we've got, you know, these different areas around the world working on this same problem. And, and today, just looking back through the, the news stories of the week, you can really see that, you know, in various locations where we're seeing the same outcomes. Another leading edge part of technology where we see some interesting developments this week is with Elon Musk and some other uh, leaders in Silicon Valley banding together to develop open AI. So this organization is designed to provide a not-for-profit organization which works towards artificial intelligence technologies. And in terms of that, there's a $1 billion base level funding that's been brought together to start to, I guess, disconnect that idea of artificial intelligence from profit making. So this is key. I mean, Elon Musk has spoken at length about that um, danger of AI and the fact that as it comes through, there will be potentially a transformational change in terms of humanity. So there's that really obvious, I guess, first level capability for it to potentially displace humans from their jobs and, and add a lot of automation, which would then disrupt the economy. But the idea here is that if there was not a commercial benefit, that it was purely just based on the the good aspects of uh, artificial intelligence, that this organization might provide a bit of a counterpoint to some of those negatives which are perceived. So when people think of artificial intelligence, they often think of things like Terminator 2 and those military applications uh, which concern a lot of people. But I guess there's that capacity as well as we learn to sort of harness those big uh, data sets and being able to really leverage um, the additional compute power that we see emerging as well that we can start to have those, that sort of machine learning happening that allows us to solve some big problems. So, you know, if we start to think about the, the health implications or the medical technology implications and things like that, it can really potentially be very powerful. So it's uh, interesting to see, I guess, these guys banding together, people like Reid Hoffman and Elon Musk, Amazon Web Services, Infosys and, and YC Research, along with Peter Thiel. All these people who are sort of coming together uh, to form this, this union and hopefully drive us forward into, into a position where we really are able to, to leverage this technology in the best possible way. So that's only just emerging now, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to sort of see uh, exactly you know, where that leads us and, and, and sort of what that organisation will do and uh, how transparently it will do it, so to see what, what they present to, to society, I guess, in terms of outcomes. Uh, that'll be really one to watch. And in terms of that automation piece as well, there has been a bit in the news uh, in the last week just around that sort of robotic development as well. So that capacity for, for robots to displace humans and the idea that potentially in countries like Japan that within a, within a period of time we'll sort of have more than half of, um, half of Japan's jobs being filled by robots. So it's interesting to sort of hear this uh, being 
put in a positive light rather than a negative in terms of Japan does have that sort of aging population and, and you know potentially not growing at a massive rate in terms of population. So in terms of being able to work out how they can bridge that potentially the productivity gap, etc., they really are looking to automation and robotics to sort of solve some of those problems. So it's interesting, I guess, with a, a population where over the quarter of the population is uh, 65 and, and over, whereas, you know, countries like the UK and the US, it might be sort of, you know, 14%, 17% or something like that. It really is an interesting view to take that, you know, this might actually be quite positive that they can displace this amount of human jobs. And also, I think, like, Speaking to those sort of medical outcomes, etc., the idea that you might be able to engage robots in things like the the care of the elderly and and as those those populations age, having senior citizens be able to be adequately cared for because there simply you know wouldn't be enough young workers to sort of step up and provide that health care that's needed. So really, you know, fascinating to sort of see that you'll have a headline around the fact that you've you know potentially got more than 50% of the jobs being displaced by robots, but the fact that this is in a way actually going to be a positive. So this comes out from the Nomura Research Institute, and they've been working with, with Oxford University in terms of developing these findings. And it's really, I guess, something that you would you'd find in other countries would be, you know, quite a negative in terms of potentially increasing unemployment uh, and, and putting an extra burden or pressure on the economy. So I guess globally, it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out as we see robotics becoming a bit more prevalent. Another place we're seeing that I guess intelligence within the machine is something that, you know, daily we're sort of seeing more uh, information emerging about all of the different manufacturers of um, self-driving cars. And there was a bit of a milestone this week in terms of um, Baidu and their driverless car, which is the, the automation of essentially a three series BMW by a Chinese firm. And they had a sort of a successful test this week, which is really interesting to see because I think we've all sort of seen over the last few weeks the, the self-driving Tesla clips going around, sort of seeing how people are grappling with that, with the the uh, ability for it to, to drive, you know, at, at quite a high speed on the road and that need for the driver to, to take control back in some cases and what that sort of looks like and how people react to that. So... The, the peak speed in this test was actually 62 miles an hour, 100 kilometers an hour. And with that, you've sort of seen that the Google automated cars, etc. at the moment have been sort of maxing out more at 25 miles per hour, etc. So in terms of this road test and being able to, to go at that much higher speed, being able to do things like execute U-turns and, and do some of the, 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 the interactions with other cars on the road, I think it's, it's something that we're all going to be fascinated to watch as all of these different manufacturers and, and computing firms work to sort of find out how they can find a model where these cars could potentially be used in the market without a high rate of, of incidents or accidents and that also people become comfortable with those, with those cars, whether it be as the driver or in terms of just having them on the road and, you know, being a pedestrian or, or whatever it might be, that they sort of become part of our experience. It, it is sort of fascinating.
There was some big news as well this week in terms of the, the founder of Bitcoin being potentially identified and uh, again being identified as, as an Australian. So there have been a number of raids on, his name is Craig Wright, the suspected Bitcoin founder. So his home in Sydney has been, been part of a raid and the Australian Taxation Office uh, is, is doing an investigation there as well. So there have been some reports from Reuters in terms of the home allegedly belonging to Wright being raided by the federal police. So it, it's just something to watch, I think, in terms of the, the legalities around what's been happening with Bitcoin, obviously being that sort of independent, untraceable way to, to shift money around and being associated things with things like Silk Road, so highly illegal activities in terms of what it's been supporting by having that sort of off-the-grid capital transfer. It'll be very interesting to sort of watch and see how this now emerges and then also where the technology ends up, whether it can maintain its position as a fairly mainstream way for people to buy and sell products and to also use as an investment vehicle. So people will convert their money into Bitcoin and then use that as a as a as an option for, for keeping their money. So yeah, I think that's again we're we're just gonna have to sort of see how that plays out. The the information on that is is not too detailed right now but it's going to be an interesting one to see. On the consumer side of things, um, there's been you know, a, few, a few interesting stories and I think one of the most interesting things that's really got people talking is this smart battery case that has come out from Apple and it, it's really raised a lot of ire with people who see it as pretty much the ugliest product that Apple has ever made. So it's meant to really give those iPhone 6s and 6s potentially an extra 25 hours of extra battery life, but it's a, it's a, a piggyback battery that, that sits in a, in a case and really makes the, the mobile phone look a bit like a, a humpback. So the fact that it's so visually unpleasing, I guess, and that it does look a bit like a prototype has made people question the, the strategy behind this. And also, I guess, you know, what Apple are thinking in releasing this product, given that a lot of their previous products are really built on um, being quite elegant and, and looking really nice and that that design philosophy has formed such a strong part of the brand. Whereas this seems to be, you know, on one hand, an admission that the battery life is poor um, within the handset and then bolstering that by providing a product which then makes the handset more unwieldy and also just does not look elegant at all. So lots of, uh, lots of different reviews around the internet really saying that it's, it's really terrible. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to sort of hear people's comments on, on what they think. It's, it's really interesting from my point of view, I guess, to sort of see the pictures where you'll have sort of the white or the rose gold iPhone encased in what essentially looks like cheap black rubber that does has an, have an Apple logo on it. And then it just looks like a battery has sort of been um, wedged between the, the black rubber and the phone. So it's an interesting one. It's a bit of an odd point. I, I sort of feel like maybe this one was released a little too soon before it could be um, formed into a, a nicer looking product. But I think, you know, time will tell again. Maybe we'll see further generations that will sort of make that a bit more refined and ultimately um, a little bit better. It gives people the option, I guess, to have this slightly thicker handset, but really then be able to charge the phone less frequently, which can be valuable for a lot of people. But on the other hand, there are a lot of handsets out there where you know the battery life is quite good. So Apple would also, I assume, want to be positioning themselves as having an adequate battery life there uh, just within the handset itself. 
From Adobe, we saw recently that they moved uh, the, the Lightroom's app for iOS became free. So what's followed is also the, the, um, the free version which now comes for Android. So you can still pair this up with a, um, a cloud account if you, if you do want to sort of pay for the suite. The Creative Cloud subscription still gives you that capability to, I guess, have the cloud storage, share between devices, um, sync images and that kind of thing. But the more single user functionality of that product, I guess, within Adobe Lightroom's app is now free. So um, a good one to download onto your, onto your handset and have a play around with doing those finishing effects on your, on your photos to, to just make them look a little bit nicer. I think obviously that's become a very competitive field just in terms of all of the, the built-in filters that people get with products like Instagram and Facebook now to sort of an automatic um, filtering of photos, etc., to optimize them. So I guess with that, it really for end users um, and, and consumers, it's a, a market where people are not necessarily willing to pay. And the focus for that um, commercial proposition is is going to be more around the professionals and the professionals will have that requirement to you know be syncing their images and, and moving them across different devices from Amazon this week as well the the fire HD 8 has sort of uh, become available and it's interesting, I guess, we've sort of seen you know, a number of the, the e-readers come forward and this is the 8-inch version of the, the Fire tablet designed to, I guess, sort of give, give readers more of a tablet experience. So if you look at the device, like it certainly just looks a bit more like a conventional tablet. You've got the full color screen, etc. So I think it'll be interesting to see how popular that is uh, or whether people sort of feel that they can just use the Amazon Kindle app on uh, on a tablet rather than having that you know particular device I think you know from my point of view and a, and a lot of people I know who have a dedicated e-reader with that sort of black and white ink technology where you're not having the sort of backlit LED screen there really is that differentiation so once you move towards that more tablet experience then you know maybe you are better off with just an iPad or a, an Android tablet which has the app on it that's that's what I use myself but it'd be interesting to sort of I guess see in what way people take the product or whether you know the the paper just continues to be the more popular option in terms of people getting that more e-reader experience where it's simply just providing you with that um, you know, quite simplistic ability to read a book and not really trying to add these additional features in terms of um, acting more as a tablet. And one last thing, more of a, a nerdy one for anyone with a virtualization background, it was interesting to sort of see um, reading through the, the notes on what's new in the Windows Server 2016 technical preview number four and starting to understand a bit more about these uh, Windows containers which is the emerging technology around providing essentially a nested virtualization. So as most people know like when we talk about virtualization we're essentially able to isolate operating systems to run in parallel on a single set of hardware. So we'll have a bunch of uh, different servers or different operating systems running together and sharing those resources. And what we're talking about here, I guess, is within the context of that Windows Server 2016 operating system, having, again, further encapsulation within that operating system. So being able to have essentially a nesting of the virtualization process. And this starts to really uh, get us into a scenario where um, applications can be very much encapsulated and separated from each other in terms of their processing and how we manage threats to other, you know, being able to isolate things so that we're not having 
having um, threats go from one, one application to another or being able to affect the operating system itself. So really, again, being able to build on um, that story, virtualization brings a much higher level of isolation of processing. So that does that sort of per operating system in most cases, but then talking about within the operating system essentially being able to provide uh, a higher level, level of segregation and separation uh, for those individual processes. So I find that pretty fascinating and, and just sort of starting to understand how that works. I've been having a read, but I think um, there's a bunch of new features there in terms of what's coming uh, down the pipe in that, that technology preview. So anyone who's, um, who's reviewing that, being able to leverage you know, all of those different additional features, uh, anyone who's got any information and would like to share that, that would be great. So thanks very much for your time, everybody. I appreciate it. I'll be with you again next week. Uh, if there's anything that you'd like to hear more of, any aspects of technology which are particularly interesting, uh, just let me know. And also just leave your comments and feedback so we can make it uh, as good as an experience as possible.